0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the OMC Mindfulness in the Workplace podcast series. Each of these sessions explores a different aspect of mindfulness in different workplace contexts, as well as key themes that we believe will be relevant to you. Previous episodes have covered mindfulness and health, research in mindfulness, mindfulness in the UK Parliament, and various others. So if you haven't had the chance to listen to them, do go back and do so. I'm Susan Peacock from the University of Oxford Mindfulness Center. And today I'm delighted to introduce Liana Stefan and look forward to discussing how we as mindfulness trainers have a wonderful opportunity to engage with one of the most pressing issues of our time, how we address sustainability and the ongoing climate crisis. So welcome, Liana.
1: (laughs) Welcome, thank you.
0: (laughs) Happy to be here. um, Lovely to uh... have this chance, um, and thank you for your time. Liana is the co-founder and co-managing director of AWARIS, an organization established in 2009 which has been leading the way in delivering effective, impactful, evidence-based mindfulness leadership training within the workplace. Liana has worked in global organizations for almost 40 years, focusing on systemic change. Her background in sports science, motivational psychology, and contemplative traditions mean that she is passionately interested in somatic approaches. Liana's leadership development programs all integrate the body, heart, and mind. Liana has been involved working with NGOs in former war zones such as Kosovo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Afghanistan, and Liberia. And given that we are a week on from the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we're just really acknowledging that this ongoing crisis is something that impacts all of us. As an expert in inner change and mind shift, Liana recognized a need for people to connect differently with our planet, particularly in the light of the climate crisis. This was how the idea of the Inner Green Deal Initiative was born, which she founded with Jeroen Yants. So Liana, I mean, it's just an amazing journey that you've been on and all these different threads. I'd love to know how you support organizations to cultivate climate and environmental leadership.
1: Hmm. Yeah, thank you, Susan, for the introduction. And um, I think on a very simple level, you know, the Inner Green Deal initiative um, offers just diverse formats um, to our customers, such as one to two day workshops, longer programs, like we have a three month long online program, podcasts, but we also offer retreats in nature, or we offer supervision for existing communities within the organization uh, who talk about, you know, what kind of actions they can implement within the organization. And we have that broad variety of formats because we really want to be a good fit for the need of the organization and where where they are on their path of transformation. But before I um, might say something about um, how we support the leaders specifically, I would like to make that link again, you mentioned it already, the terrible war in the Ukraine, which is really devastating. And we cannot ignore the scarcity of resources on this planet and the resulting dependencies which we just experience on a global level and how to get these resources into for countries or raw materials that do not have these resources so that causes a lot of conflicts um, as long as people do not change their mindset and know how to collaborate how to really share and like to share resources on this planet. So the climate crisis is also a geopolitical crisis, I would say. Mm. And I think organizations play a very crucial role in this. They have a strong impact, specifically the global organizations on society, and they have an impact on economy. And if we see organizations as a chance to um, create kind of an, I would say, enlightened society within the organization, I think we can really shift a system and and change it to the better uh, for all human beings. And I think um, especially leaders play a crucial role because they make the decisions within the organizations. If we support them to connect to themselves in a different way, to connect to other humans in a different way, to reconnect to nature and see them as part of nature and not separate from nature, mm. and to understand deeply that all phenomena within a system are connected and interdependent, then on the outer level, other actions will naturally just simply follow. If they can overcome their biases, for example, short term thinking, and envision and and think about future generations, which we naturally don't do, then I think organizations can really change and contribute to lessen the CO2 emissions and contribute not only to that, but also to a more peaceful society and to a way of collaborating with other organizations, with other countries where we really collectively solve our challenges that are ahead of us. And we also support, maybe uh, the last thing, we also support the leaders uh, in implementing sustainable projects. So give them guidance how to do it, uh, how to involve others, and really guide them through this process.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, so powerful hearing how, when you can enable people to connect, with themselves, with the environment, with other organizations, with countries. You know, there's, in some ways, there's this sense of individuals and connection and how that then just ripples.
1: Yeah, um, I think, you know, when you look at organizations, my exp- I can only talk about my experience. Mm-hmm. They are still so focused on developing new technologies and they completely forget, first of all, that these technologies are invented by human beings. <laughs> the way they think and they look at the future, you know, that has an impact on these innovations. And they rarely look on the how, you know, how do people Mm. act? How do they think? How do they collaborate? And I think this shift, technology is important, but the shift on the how Mm. uh, and why we do what we do, I think that is really crucial.
0: Mm, mm. There's so much in what you are saying But let me go on to the next question that that we've um, agreed we would explore. What sorts of hurdles do you experience as you introduce this topic of sustainability? Hmm.
1: So there are always hurdles, as you can imagine. (laughs) (laughs) So um, usually, you know, when leaders hear the word sustainability and entering a program that deals with that topic, the expectation is just so different. So usually they expect a clear model of sustainability and clear instructions on what to do next. And they also expect sometimes that this is a pure knowledge transfer program. (laughs) So we have to kind of disappoint them a little bit at the beginning. It's quite confusing for them, but that's kind of a hurdle, you know, to overcome that kind of expectation that we take them by their hand and say what to do. But rather to work on their own attitude, work on on oneself uh, is not what they always expect at first. On the other hand, I experience, you know, after they understand the connections of the inner dimension and how it impacts the outer dimension, they slowly, slowly get into it and really Mm. deeply understand that.
0: Mm. So
1: that's one hurdle on the participant side. But other than that, you know, We usually approach the sustainability department, and they don't get it. They don't understand this approach. you know why first the inner dimension and then the outer dimension, you know they don't get it really. So they say, "Oh, this is a leadership topic topic. go to HR. okay, then we are at HR. But HR, on the other hand, does not necessarily feel committed to the topic of sustainability. (laughs) So they send us back to the sustainability department. Mm. So to get an anchor within the organization is not so easy. But it mirrors, on the other hand, that they think still in a separate way, oh, here's sustainability, and here's leadership. But they don't understand the the linkage between both, which is very important. So sometimes it's nice to work actually with them on this topic specifically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. instead of selling a program to make them understand, you know, this cannot be separated. So sustainability and leadership just goes naturally hand in hand. But that's really a strong hurdle that we face and that I know others are facing too.
0: And that sounds so interesting because when I think back to mindfulness being introduced into organizations, say 10 years ago, it was does this fall under L and D or leadership or mm. well-being? Yeah. And now I think there's increasing recognition that it's a foundational capacity. Yes. And absolutely. I wonder if in time it sounds exactly that that's where sustainability is heading. Yes. yes. You know, it's it's part yes. of, and as you were saying, how one works with the culture of the organization, and it becomes really embedded. Wow, that's
1: such an interesting observation. Um, And I think, as you know, uh, Susan, we are working, you know, very neuroscience-based and evidence-based, and this is kind of where I feel that could fit to both areas, and which is really the door opener to make them understand that they have to work hand in hand and as you said you know in the future i'm sure this will really merge together yeah, uh, yeah, it yeah just yeah. takes a while to
0: yeah. yeah and i think there's also something about people being motivated you know in many ways the the digital world that we live in and people constantly being on and you know yeah. never ending distractions has meant mindfulness has become more and more integrated into people's yeah. lives because they feel yeah. the need And I wonder, and behavioral change is a huge part of that. I wonder with sustainability, as people feel this more, it becomes more center stage, um, which is happening at quite a pace. So how do you see the inner human dimension relating to climate change? And then a second question, how does this lead to more sustainable behaviors and actions? Hmm. Good question. That's actually the question that participants (laughs) always ask.
1: (laughs) So first of all, I think it's important to understand that the whole problem of climate change or climate crisis has its roots or its root in our history of separation the separation between me and you, between man and nature, and only because we consider ourselves as special or superior because we think we are higher than other beings or than nature, we could actually exploit nature and its resources. So we have simply not wanted to see the interdependency of everything. So I think perceiving, recognizing, feeling how connected we all are to each other and how each of our actions affects the system is significant. Mm -hmm. And in this respect, the inequalities and manner of perception and our meaning-making of what we perceive are so essential. Mm -hmm. So if I cultivate compassion, for example, for myself and others, if I can recognize and feel the suffering of nature or of other beings, sense and feel the vulnerability of beings, and want to reduce the suffering, then I certainly will act differently. And then I have then that that uh, then if I have no compassion at all, Mm. you know, Mm. so if we cultivate this inner quality, such as compassion, or curiosity, if I cultivate curiosity, I don't immediately get carried away by judgments, but remain interested in the diverse perspectives of people, listen really deeply to them, and maybe be able to collaborate because of my curiosity. So these kind of inner dimensions or courage or perspective taking, I think are very crucial and translate almost automatically into sustainable actions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a difference, you know, I really appreciate activists, and I I really think they are so important. And yet, sometimes I feel them acting out of aggression. Mm. And it feels quite pushing, you know. Mm. And I think if we act from a spot of or a source of compassion or curiosity, then we invite, you know, there's more invitation to others to join our collective actions. Yeah. So yeah. I think, you know, really these inequalities support us in our pro-environmental behavior because they naturally are translated into that and pro-human behavior. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's how I think, you know, that's why the inner human dimension is so important to sense and feel. I think we are still thinking that we are just rational beings (laughs) and yet our unconscious mind is so much bigger and and dominant. Mm. So to understand deeply that sensing and feeling and not only analyzing is super important Mm.
0: to move into different way of acting. Yeah. I mean, again, just imagine what you've just said because I think One of the the challenges that as mindfulness trainers, people wanting to address this is often not knowing quite how to do that. You know, oh, this feels such a big issue. And as you've just touched on, the idea of really embracing and providing a sense of psychological safety so that we can unpack some of those assumptions, some of that feeling of separateness, how we can start to you know, just make small changes, just makes so much sense. So wise. Thank you, Liana. What do you experience as the expectation or longing of the participants that you work with when they embark on these sorts of climate leadership Hmm. programs?
1: So I already talked about this expectation of, you know, getting to know models or concrete actions. But I would say, you know, the underlying expectation is really a longing to meet like-minded people and openly talk about climate anxiety, openly talk about the concern for future generations and really find somehow a connection to other people's that is a heart-to-heart connection and not just a a conceptual mind to conceptual mind connection. Mm-hmm. So I feel that's actually the main, for me, the main longing people have. Can I belong to some kind of community of people where I can speak openly? I mean, what you just mentioned, you know, it's so mm-hmm. important. And I, in organizations, you know, leaders are also fathers and mothers. Mm-hmm. So they are concerned about the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, even now, (laughs) in regard to the war, Mm. uh, very concerned. So feeling, creating that space where they can speak openly, where they can experience and practice together, where they can um, listen to each other and really listen from their heart to each other. I think that's actually the longing behind that. Mm-hmm. And yes, you know, they learn, they train, uh, you know, they reflect, um, they explore something, um, they design sustainable actions, which is all important. But underneath actually, this longing, I think, is predominant. Um, and also to experience the collaboration. And that we can really collaborate in a different way Mm. by sharing what we have, sharing what we think, sharing what we feel. I think that's, from my point of view, even though it's not spoken out loud, (laughs) Mm. but that I feel is really the longing of the participants. Mm.
0: Mm. And it sounds like there's a real art in providing a space that enables people to be brave enough and vulnerable enough to talk yeah. about an issue that is you know a, a, at an intellectual level is hugely complex and so there's a an uncertainty about how to engage with it and yet the way you are exploring it is how do we connect as human beings and and the theme that keeps coming up is this idea of connection to yes. the world to each yes. other as organizations countries
1: and i and think I could, just if i am allowed yeah. to just mention that yeah, yeah, i yeah. think Because, as you mentioned before, we are living in such a fragmental and speedy world, so to say, to enter a space where where silence is part of it, where we create space for our minds to let actually the emotions come up, you know, to just provide that kind of space. I mean, that alone is such a difference to our usual way of working that people start to open up. Very yeah. easily, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And I think then there's this possibility of considering different ways, different yeah. possibilities. Yeah. Um, as you work with the well-known researcher Christine Wamsler from Lund University Sustainability Center in Sweden, yeah. you're really interested. I don't know whether you can share any of the results of the the, the interesting research you've been.
1: Yeah. No. So, yeah, it's true. The The results are um, haven't yet still um, be confirmed, but uh, I can share some of them. But I also want to really mention that we have a wonderful collaboration with uh, Christine Wamsler. Uh, we just got to know her briefly before our five pilots that we started last year uh, with almost 100 leaders. And She was in every, every pilot session. And we really had great discussions and insights. She was challenging us a lot. Um, And I'm really very happy with that relationship. And I really want uh, hope that we continue also in further programs, um, our uh, common research project. Mm -hmm. And uh, in terms of results, so in the pilot survey, we looked for the interdependency of the internal and external dimensions. And what we could see after that seven module long program is an in significant increase in mindfulness. So being present, being non-judgmental. So everything that you know um, includes mindfulness aspects. Mm-hmm. But we also could see there is a stronger connection with nature. So the participants had to do a weekly nature walk with a specific instruction. And they stated that connected very in a very different way with nature and could also sense and feel uh, the beauty, um, the gratefulness for nature, but also the suffering of nature. Mm-hmm. And there was a significant increase in self-compassion, which is important, you know, unless you care for yourself, you can hardly care for others. Um, there was also a result saying that there is a stronger consideration of the leaders to integrate the topic of climate into their daily work at workplace. And also it looks like compassion might be positively correlated to pro-environmental attitude and behavior. And compassion was the main practice that we did throughout the program. And it seems, and that was also the feedback of the participants, that through that softening the heart area connecting to others, wanting to help others, connecting to nature. So we, we changed a little bit the classical compassion practice and integrated animals, trees mm. into that. And that helped them to really sense and feel and connect uh,
0: differently to nature. Yeah, it just seems as if the work that you are doing is really at the cutting edge and just so needed A question we ask all our guests, if you could give one piece of advice to our people on the course who are wanting to teach mindfulness in a workplace setting, addressing the issue of the climate crisis, what (laughs) might that be?
1: (laughs) So, well, yeah, as you already said, uh, Susan, climate uh, is a huge complex topic, but I think we as mindfulness teachers really can easily integrate this topic by small interventions, like, for example, just simply asking participants to do a nature walk Mm. on the weekend. I mean, that's what we did. And that's, you know, you can always ask leaders or participants within the organizations to do so and sense and feel the nature and not think about Mm. their projects while they walk in nature and see actually nature itself as the anchor of our mind for our mind, like the breath is the anchor. Now nature could be the anchor and could be the exercise to do so. Or, you know, tiny habit changes like just simply noticing with curiosity on how much plastic do you buy or use, not doing it as a moral exercise, you know, like just with curiosity, just notice it and practice noticing and practice cultivating curiosity so we do this anyway but to combine it with tiny little habit changes i think is super helpful and changing a little bit the mindfulness practice by always at the beginning you know thinking about suffering of nature or others or as we did you know the, in the compassion practice integrate animals or flowers but also integrating more gratefulness for what we have, because if we are grateful for for what we have, then we don't need more, you know, we can let go of consume. So I think we are, you know, mindfulness teachers are, is the group which can do a lot um, to really uh, support uh, a healthy climate on this planet. And sometimes I always like, also in my workshops, I, let people close their eyes and say, you know, just for a moment, listen to Mother Earth. What request would she have? What does she want you to do? And just simply listen to that. And then, usually, you know, little tiny actions just come to your mind.
0: Ah, oh, that sounds wonderful. Such a powerful way of really connecting and making it feel. Accessible rather than something that's quite daunting. Mm. Liana, you have given us so much food for thought. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, your wisdom, the care that you take. And to our listeners, we, we really hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and we look forward to seeing you for the next episode.